Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. We're continuing on this series that we started last week called Coming Home for Christmas. Why? Because, again, there's just something about coming home. We saw it in the video. Coming home for Christmas is one of the big ad campaign things that's out there today. It's one of the things that you hear in all the Hallmark stories. It's just one of those things that seems to resonate with so many. It's very powerful. In fact, it was just a few months ago where I was reminded of this again. Beth and I were looking at the possibility of moving from our home to one that was much closer to church. And we kind of thought about it and we weighed all the pros and cons and we started thinking. We got really serious about it. But as we were pondering over these things, we started thinking about the place that we live. Experiences with the neighbors, the feel of the neighborhood, the familiarity. 14 years of being in the same place. The reality of 14 years in the neighborhood had seen 14 Christmases with our family, 61 birthday parties, two knee surgeries, one dog added, two cats, 14 summers of playing in the pool, countless evenings playing ping pong and watching TV in the family room. And you add to that that I bought the house from my parents. So for me, it's really like 35 Christmases, give or take. All the memories going back as far as middle school, the highs and lows over the course of 35 years, just memories on top of all that. In addition to all the other things over the last few years, and a startling revelation occurred, at least to me, apparently there is something about home. There's something about going to a place where you know that you're loved and you're cared for. There's something about the idea of the memories that you have, to the familiarity to the family that you know cares. Again, there's just something about coming home. So we decided to stay where we were, at least for a little longer, you know. And it was kind of a funny experience because there seemed like it would be all the pros and moving closer. But somehow we got stuck. Somehow we started to emphasize the idea of home. But then I started thinking, because we're doing this series, you know, about home, what does this idea of coming home look like to me spiritually? And for me, it's always meant a coming home and a reconnecting with my Lord who loves me, my Savior who died for me. It's a place of comfort for me, a place of peace, a place of forgiveness and love and security and hope, all of those things, it seems, wrapped up into the promises of God. And this home, I continued thinking, will always be there for me for it's eternal. So kind of continuing on with this theme, I believe that this coming home for Christmas then is about reconnecting with the God who created you, with the God who loves you, with the God who saved you, which I think is huge because the reality is that life just works better when you're connected to God, when you can come home. And I, I think the truth is, for many of us who are here today, we want this kind of closeness with God. It, sometimes we just want to be reconnected again to his love, to the joy that we experience through his, through, his, through his forgiveness and through his strengthening, to the reality that he's there with us as we're going through struggles, that he hasn't left us alone, that he sees, that he knows, that he's able. And so we're here this morning to worship our God. We brave the rains in Phoenix. That's, a, that's saying something, you know, I'm just saying... And one of the reasons that you're here today, I believe, is that as a whole, we just truly want to be closer to God. We want him to be the reason for the season. We want him to be the strength and the joy of our life. And so 
one of the questions, though, is how do we get that reconnection if we've lost it? And I think the story of the prodigal son is just an amazing way which Jesus tries to actually help us answer that very question. And so I want to talk about it a little bit this morning. Because the fact is, as Jesus is telling this story, what he's doing is he's trying to paint a picture of what God is really like. And so the father in the story represents God and the brothers, well, they represent you and I. As the story goes, the younger son in the story kind of lost his way for a bit. He asked dad for his inheritance early, which, like it would be today, was kind of an unheard of and an insane request. But much to the surprise of the audience that day, Jesus shares upon this request, the father actually gives him the money. And the son takes it and he goes away to a distant land. And in that distant land, he wastes all the money until it's gone. He wastes it on foolish living. Now the money's gone and the party's over, but that's not all. The story continues. It says, at the time he runs out of money, a famine hits. And I started thinking, that's just like life, isn't it? When it rains, it pours, right? Sometimes it's because of our own doing, right? Living it up, spending all this money on foolish things. Runs out of money. Sometimes it's over things we have no control over, like the famine. But he's in such a bad situation at this point. But he doesn't even contemplate going home because of the shame he knows he's brought on his family. So he goes and he tries to get a job. And the only place he can get a job is feeding pigs. And as Jesus tells the story, he understands that the Jewish audience that he's talking to, right, that pigs are, not a, are no bueno, in other words, right? That the pig is considered unclean. The fact is the boy would get a job working with pigs just shows how far he had fallen Jesus was just saying that this kid had hit rock bottom. He was lower than low, a poster child for shame. That he would get a job, stoop so low as to work with pigs. And then Jesus upped the ante just a little bit more. That things had gotten so brutal that even the pig's food started looking good. And the story said, Jesus says, when he gets to this point, when the boy finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired men have had food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father, and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired man. So he returned home to his father. Now let me ask, have you ever blown it so bad where you have had to apologize in a big way to somebody? If you've ever had that experience, then you know what this boy was doing on this walk home. And again, it was a distant land. It was a long walk home. You know what he was doing the entire way. He was rehearsing. What am I going to say to dad? Now, here's the part that blows my mind. While he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father is representing God here. And he sees his son coming. And filled with love and compassion that his son is coming home, he runs to him and he embraces and kisses him. And as he does that, the son can't even get out his apology. Dad, I've sinned against heaven. My son's home. Hey, everybody, my son's home. We're throwing a party. Give me a robe for my son. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Kill the best calf that we've got. We're going to a party. My son's home. And wouldn't that be great if that's where the story ended? But it doesn't. The party's going on, but there's another son in the story, and that other son is out working, and he sees the commotion, and he hears the noise, and begins to walk up to the house, and he says, what's going on? One of the servants comes out and says, hey, there's a big party. Your brother's back. 
Dad's throwing a party. He's killed the fattened, path, cat, fattened calf. We're eating big. Come on in. And you know what the brother's response was to that? Anger. Jealousy. Can anybody relate to that? I was talking to a friend the other day, and their family's going through an inheritance thing, and one of them got more than the other. And it's created feelings. Not appreciative feelings that they got anything, but feelings of jealousy and anger. Somebody's getting something that you don't get. Somebody else is getting a blessing that you don't get. And yet I've literally read this story thousands of times, but this time as I was going through it and I was studying, I, something occurred to me. This father went outside to the other boy too. He didn't have to go very far. He just went outside, but he went to him. And it's a picture of God the father running to the one son and going outside to the disconnected son. In both cases, the father went out to them searching for them. Listen to what he says. Dear son, you and I are very close and everything I have is yours. Can you even imagine God saying that to you? Everything I have is yours. My power is available to you. My presence is available to you. My forgiveness that I won through Jesus is available to you. But son, we had to celebrate. This is a happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So Jesus is telling the story to the crowd. And in so doing, he's trying to paint a picture of the character of God. And as he does, he wants to make sure that you get three things. Jesus is trying to hone in on three things that he's trying to accomplish, showing you who God is. Three things about God's character. And those are three things I want to share with you this morning that I don't want you to miss as we talk about this coming home to God. One of the first things that Jesus just shares with us in the story is that God is patient enough to never give up on you. You know, my heart breaks when I hear people say stuff like this. I'm so messed up, Pastor. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times I've walked away from God, how many times I've just done things I knew that he didn't like. So many times I can't even count. God's got to be done with me. And it breaks my heart because it's a lie. Because the truth is, is that God's not done with you at all. The truth is, he remains hopeful. Jesus, the God-man, was describing his father and saying that the father has not given up on the son. He was waiting expectantly, watching the road for him to return. In verse 20, it says, while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. So imagine this, the beautiful image of God waiting patiently, watching, enthusiastically hopeful that you will return. And then upon seeing the son, he tears off down the road. A lot of times as I talk about the character of God, I know a lot of us, at least, have a hard time understanding or relating to this, this whole idea of being patient and not giving up. And one of the reasons for that is that we're not very patient with other people. We're just not. We give up on people literally all the time. If somebody hurts us, we warn them, right? If we love them, you know, sometimes. But if they hurt us again, we're done. We so often just give up on them, sometimes even if it's family. So to think that God would be patient with us and to not give up with us, I think sometimes it just blows us away because we're not like that. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Did you hear that? He wants everybody to come to repentance. Somebody asked me the other day, Pastor, what does repentance mean? And repentance is kind of a churchy theological word that simply means this. It means say you're sorry, 
turn from your sins and come home. Just like the kid in the story did. For God is patient. And here's the thing, he wants everybody to come home. You remember the movie Forrest Gump? I was actually watching it the other day for whatever reason. But at the end of the movie, Forrest takes Forrest Jr. to the first day of school at the bus stop and he watches his son get off the bus. And some of the coolest lines of the, of the movie is this. I'll be here when you get back. Some of us here, I think we need to see God in that light. Maybe you've gotten to a distant land or maybe you've just gotten disconnected. But you need to see that God will still be there for you the second you turn, that he's waiting patiently. Some of you aren't runaways, but you've jumped on the short bus ride called Disconnect, and so you too need to know that God is still there, that he's still waiting, that he's not gonna give up on you. Another thing I want you to get is that God is passionate enough to show extreme love. In verse 20, it says, the father saw him a long way away, and he ran to his son. It's the only time in the Bible that God is pictured as running. It's kind of cool. And what makes this even more interesting, right, is that this is in a culture during a day where men wore robes, kind of like the one I'm wearing. Maybe not as thick, hopefully. I don't know. But the reality is that running in a robe like a long dress is somewhat difficult, I've experienced. And so for him to pull the robe up and run with his bare legs showing was very rare in a culture that people just didn't do things like that. It was really unheard of. I was trying to think of a contemporary example. Maybe it would be like a dad running down the street in his underwear, you know, just something that you shouldn't do, right? Those kind of things. It was unheard of, but it was extreme love. This dad didn't care. Why did he run? Because he was passionate enough to go to extremes to say to his son that he loved him regardless of the past. Then it says in verse 20 that he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Again, extreme love. He just came from working at a pig pen. He had just come from a long journey. Kid had to smell just a little bit. But he throws his arms around him at that moment and kisses him. And notice, there's no lecture. Haven't you ever been blown away by that in this story? He doesn't say anything about the boy's past. And in the absence of words, God says a lot. In the absence of words, the father says everything. And lastly, God is forgiving enough to accept me. I've talked to a lot of people over the years that say, you know, this forgiveness thing, Pastor, maybe it's easy for you, I don't know, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know about my past. You don't know what I've been through. It would make God sick. God can't forgive me. I've done too much. And if you're saying that this morning, I just want you to hear a couple things. One, God isn't surprised. God was there when you were doing it. God's seen everything in your life, seen every thought in your life, been there every step of the way. Two, you don't know my God. Because the God of the Bible is forgiving enough to accept you just the way you are. I love the illustration that says you don't clean a fish before you catch it, right? You catch the fish first and then you clean it. You bring it into the boat and then you clean it. So too, in this story, the son came home and then his father got him cleaned up. Let's get him a robe. Let's get him some sandals. Let's get him the ring. Let's throw a party. God forgives you enough to accept you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That's where the change comes in. That's the forgiveness that sets us on a new course. And again, it's, it's tough to understand because we don't forgive people like this. We have a hard time forgiving people this completely. We want to hold things back. We, 
Don't want them to get off, what, scot-free? But with God's forgiveness, we're getting something better than we deserve. And it's not like nobody paid the price. Jesus paid the price for us. My friends, this morning, I want you to know that you have a God who loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been in your life. A God who, when you come to your senses and come clean and repent of your sins, will always be found by you. And he is a God who will forever forgive. A God who will forever strengthen and heal. And he's a God who will always welcome you home. A home where you are loved and forgiven by an amazing God. And so my prayer today is simply this. If you have wandered, if you've gotten disconnected, that you would come home to him today. For he loves you so much. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we love you. And as we listen to the story of the prodigal son, it's challenging for us. It's overwhelming for us. We, we can't comprehend the love that would just forgive everything in an instant. A love that would just surround us the second we turn to you. And yet it's the gift of your son Jesus that whoever would believe in your son Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord would all of a sudden get forgiveness and eternity and strength and hope and you by our side and you working for us and not against us. Life is hard, but you are good. And sometimes I think we get so caught up in the Christmas season and Santa and the gifts that we just forget that the greatest gift is your son, Jesus. That you sent him pursuing us so that you could forgive us because we matter to you. Father, thank you for that love this morning and all God's people said, amen.